Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The sermon text for this third Sunday of Easter is found in our Gospel lesson from today, Luke chapter 24. If Christ is not raised, then I am a liar. That's pretty much what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There Paul states quite clearly, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he has raised Christ from the dead. So, if Christ has not been raised, worse than being just ordinary run-of-the-mill liars, St. Paul and I and Pastor Knuckles and all preachers of the Gospel, everyone who has proclaimed Jesus Christ crucified, died, buried, and resurrected from the dead, all preachers of the Gospel would be, in fact, guilty of the greater sin of misrepresenting God. And to misrepresent God is to put ourselves in the place of deciding what to reveal about God. And that's blasphemy. Damnable blasphemy. To ask the familiar Lutheran theological question then, what does this mean? It means that absolutely everything about Christianity hinges on the truth of the claim that Jesus Christ rose from the grave after being killed on the cross. Our faith pivots around the reality that on the first day of the week some 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, as the sign on his cross proclaimed, walked out of that borrowed grave where Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had laid him shortly before sunset two days previously. Without the validation of Jesus' sacrifice to atone for our sins, which the resurrection in large part demonstrates, we would still be dead in our trespasses, just as dead as Jesus' body would have been had He not been raised. And if so, our faith would be totally futile. We would have no hope unless His true flesh had returned to life, His heart beating once again, His new blood of the new covenant moving through His veins and His arteries. His blood had been shed on that cross for you. But God did not abandon Him to the grave, nor did He let His Holy One see decay. One of the great scandals among many so-called Christians today is that a lot of them think that Christ's people can have faith and can receive salvation without Christ's resurrection and even without His having died on the cross. It's taught all around us, isn't it, that the ethical teachings of Jesus and Jesus' wisdom, apart from His sinless life, His undeserved suffering and death, and His glorious resurrection, still somehow makes Christianity something worthy of which you and I should be a part. Do not believe this lie, dear friends, and do not let it go unchallenged. Without Jesus' resurrection, our religion truly is as worthless as Paul says it would be, and we have been lied to, 
and we would continue to lie and blaspheme God. At various points in history, and yet today, many Christians have tried to make the resurrection more acceptable to a skeptical world, just as many have often striven to remove the scandal of the bloody cross. They water the resurrection down, and they minimize the power of God by saying that Jesus returned to life and all of His appearances to His followers after that resurrection were just a spiritual resurrection. They will say that it doesn't really matter whether or not His physical body came back to life, just so long as His Spirit moved people to believe in God's forgiveness because of Christ's faithful suffering and death. Others will rationalize, and they will mouth the words, He lives, but all they really mean is that He lives within their hearts, giving them comfort and guidance, but with a conscience devoid of divinity. They don't believe that He actually still lives and reigns to all eternity at the right hand of the Father in heaven, as we confess in the creeds and as Christians have confessed for many, many centuries. Such lies are dangerous. God will have been misrepresented. The person and the work of Jesus would be falsely taught. Thanks be to God that none of these errors and lies about the resurrection are true. It's not the weakness in Christianity's foundation that rests on historical claims and the factual reality of the resurrection. It's not somehow a flaw, something that unbelievers can point to and pick at. Rather, it's the resurrection that makes Christianity so unique and so compelling. It's what's so startling about Easter. Jesus' appearance to multiple witnesses on multiple occasions and their testimony to that reality in spite of the often horrible consequences and sufferings that making such claims brought upon them is perhaps the strongest defense of the fact that it is objectively true. You see, from the very first Easter on, as you can read about in the Gospel of St. Matthew, unbelievers have tried to concoct reasoned arguments and alternative explanations for the fact that people saw and heard and touched Jesus after He arose from the grave. And they continue to scramble yet today to try to find ways to disprove Christianity and this core teaching. These sorts of attacks are not really to be unexpected. They simply show how focused the world is upon shifting the claims of Christianity out of the realm of the divinely inspired objective truths to be just one more religious expression in a world that has hundreds, if not thousands or millions of them. What's more, skeptics would love to take your faith and move it into the realm of feelings, personal feelings, or just sweet sentimentality then you wouldn't have a faith that is rooted in a tangible reality, but just in wishful thinking and symbolic semantics. But the Holy Spirit will not allow you to surrender under such attacks, nor to retreat into relativism or subjectivism that hides the real Jesus, including the crucified and resurrected Jesus. Each and every day, you and I have the distinct honor and the true blessing of knowing the truth about Jesus' resurrection 
and the duty to take that truth out into a world that remains skeptical about his resurrection. Even many Christians, perhaps even some among us here today, still wrestle with doubt at times. Tell them. Tell one another the joyous news that we know with certainty, that news that we proclaim. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Just before our gospel lesson for today begins, the two disciples who were met by Jesus on that road to Emmaus had returned to the city. They told those who were hiding in fear and uncertainty the startling news that they had heard earlier in the day was in fact true. Christ had arisen. And Christ himself then instantly stood among them, just then, proving his resurrection once more. You know, if you stop and think about it for a moment, although the resurrection itself is certainly a miraculous and a divine action, the way that Jesus proves his resurrection is rather unremarkable. After all, how do you prove that someone is alive and not dead? It's quite simple, really. If he is walking and talking in your midst, if he is eating food, if he offers you his body to touch, it's pretty unmistakable, isn't it? It doesn't take anything extraordinary to prove that someone is alive again. Common proofs for an uncommon Savior. It's certainly not as difficult as proving that you're the Son of God, is it? That takes some miracles like feeding the 5,000 or healing the sick and the lame or walking upon the surface of the water. For our sakes, and for the sakes of all who would believe, Jesus proved both things, that he is the true Son of God and that he is risen from the dead. This was no group hysteria, no delusion, no phantom, and no hallucination. And it certainly wasn't some wild story that got cooked up to start a new religion. You see, fake stories like that tend to get quashed and recanted very quickly the first time that someone threatens you with death for telling them. No, there were many, many witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. Literally hundreds of them as Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians. Most of those disciples who were there that night in that locked room and many other early Christians died martyrs' deaths, standing by what they saw with their own two eyes, what they touched with their own two hands. That's not something that you would do in order to defend a lie. But it doesn't really do us just much good to know, that the, to know and to proclaim Jesus' resurrection is true if we fail to recognize what its significance is. What did Jesus reveal to his disciples that night after those two others had returned from Emmaus? He gave them the gift of understanding. He opened their eyes to see that he was the focus of all the scriptures, the complete fulfillment of God's plan of salvation. He had to remind them once again all of those things that he had told them before, that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. And all of those things had to come to pass that had been written about him. It was written, he said, that he would suffer and die and be raised again on the third day. But why? For what reason? Our gospel text tells us this. 
so that repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name might be proclaimed to all nations. And what did he say then of his disciples? That they were witnesses to these things, eyewitnesses who knew the truth, who would proclaim the truth, who would defend the truth. Jesus' death and resurrection were made clear to them. And they were given a full understanding of how God had planned for our salvation from the very beginning of the world and even before that. For we are told by Paul in his letter to the Ephesians that we were chosen by the Father to be saved in Christ even before the foundations of the world. What a joyful and wondrous revelation this is for us. We were chosen to receive the incomprehensible gift of salvation according to the will of God, long before our parents ever conceived us, long before they even existed themselves. Apart from any plans, apart from any abilities on our part, the Holy Son of God came to us in human flesh, subjected Himself to the same law that we would need to follow perfectly in order to be worthy of salvation. And He obeyed that law. For you, He allowed himself to be humiliated, to be shamed, to be rejected by his very own chosen people. He was condemned to die a criminal's death, to take on your punishment, and to give you his righteousness. How can this be? It makes no rational sense. You can make no intellectual argument for it at all. We are the ones who deserve death for treating him in this way and for our rejections of His law. But Jesus showed us the true meaning of love, sacrificing Himself up both for His friends and for His enemies. He determined to redeem us, to purchase us back as His very own. He would make us holy. He would make us clean so that we can stand in the presence of our holy God and Creator and not to face death, but rather to know and to trust that we have been granted eternal life like His. This is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to our faith and why it must be defended and why it must be confessed by all believers even when we might be facing our own deaths. There was no fear in death for the disciples who died in the confession of Jesus Christ. There was no fear because Christ had removed the curse and the sting of eternal death by taking away all of our sin. This, then, is the hope that can't be removed from the Christian faith, the hope of the resurrection of the dead. So also, when we believe in the risen Christ, our minds are open to the Scriptures and to understand them rightly. We begin to read them in a whole new light, in the light of Christ. We see how all the Old Testament points forward to Him, as the fulfillment of God's promises. And we see how all of the New Testament points to Him also as the source and the center of our life and of our faith. Like the disciples, we come to realize that the cross, that the death of Jesus is not a tragic failure in God's plan, but instead it is where Christ accomplished for us His victory over sin and death. We therefore proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected as the center of our message to all the world. Because His death was not in vain, 
Neither is our faith in vain, nor is our proclamation of Him and the Gospel in vain. In His rising, He has given us new life to give us a share in His resurrection from the dead. So, we can say again with all boldness, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.